What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies. And this episode is incredibly exciting for me. And Rob is here today to join me once again. And we're going to talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, a movie that I've been waiting for for four years, a movie that Rob, quite frankly, didn't think was going to happen. And I think maybe until he turned on HBO Max and actually saw the movie started, might still have had some doubts. Maybe this was a, a joke, but Rob, uh, welcome. Uh, thanks again for having me. And you couldn't have said it any better. I was half expecting it to cut out um, you know, right, <laughs> right as I was starting, because when when the rumors started about this, you know, however many years ago that there was there was just this Internet chatter about something called a Snyder Cut. And Zack Snyder had tweeted out pictures of him holding like a, I think it was a can or something like that, a real can or, or whatever, you know, saying it does exist. I just said, there's no chance this will ever happen. You and I would talk about it for, you know, on again, off again over the last several years. Um, and I just said, there is absolutely no way that a studio will spend money to release something that they've already released and was, was regarded as terrible. Um, I, I would send you links every time. Yes. Every time I saw something, I would send you a link being like, oh, this could happen. This could happen. And you, you for the longest time were like, <laughs> I just know I can't see it. Yeah. Um, I was definitely uh, rain. I, I was peeing in your Cheerios. Every chance I got, <laughs> you would, you would send me things, you would find things. And I would say, it's not happening. There's no way. And, and then all of a sudden we start hearing maybe it could, there, there grew buzz for it. And then all of a sudden we start hearing all kinds of stuff like it's coming to HBO Max. They're giving them a budget. And I'm thinking, why are they giving them a budget? Like what, what do they hope to gain from this? How is this? How are they going to make their money back on, on HBO Max subscribers? And, and from the sounds of it, the, um, at least for Wonder Woman 84, it sounds like they're they are doing well on, on new subscribers. Um, this is actually getting a ton of buzz right now. And I, you know, I kind of looked at this as, is this, is this Warner brothers hail Mary to save what's what they currently have of the DCEU. Certainly they can keep moving forward with wonder woman films. They can keep moving forward with Shazam related films. They can keep moving forward with Aquaman, but as far as Superman, Batman, those characters, is this their hail Mary to try to keep this together? Were, were they secretly hoping that this would be a hit and this would be how they would kind of retcon the theatrical version and say that was an alternate universe somehow. Maybe they do a flashpoint, you know, in, in the flash movie. And, and now yeah. this is the version they're considering Canon. I don't know what to think, but uh, Matt, go ahead and, and, and be happy for a little bit because um, you know, I definitely want to hear your, your overall thoughts because you were the only person I know who ever believed that this could actually happen. And we're totally on board with it. Absolutely wanted to see it. Um, I had said for a long time, like I, you know, what, what would be the point? You know, you bring in someone like Joss Whedon, who has done the Avengers, knows how to do superhero team up movies, and he still couldn't turn in a good film based on what was already shot, had to go in and do reshoots himself just to, in my mind, just to try to create a salvageable movie you could take to theaters and still turned in that turd pile. I was fully expecting this movie to be an absolute waste of four hours um, 
That's not the case, though, is it? No, I mean, that's I, I've been waiting because we have not talked um, in depth on purpose, <laughs> like, right, <laughs> a, about this because that was your thought all along, and to me, it was you know I, I was always thinking, okay, even if it's terrible. I want to see what his vision of Justice League was supposed to be. And I am not a huge fan of Zack Snyder. I've talked about some of his other movies. Um, I don't like a ton of them. And this, to me, uh, by the way, listeners, uh, we're going to get this out of the way here off the top. This is going to be completely spoilers. Uh, Anything that we talk about going forward is going to talk about this movie. So I'm going to give you a warning right now. If you haven't seen this version because you haven't had a chance to set aside four hours yet, you need to pause this because this is a full spoiler episode. So don't listen any further if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled. But going back to my original point, Rob, I just wanted to see his vision. Whether or not it was crap or whether or not it was good, I just wanted to see his vision. And I will tell you from my personal standpoint, and I told you this when I text you, this movie is a home run for me. I am blown away by it. I'm confused by the fact that, and this might sound terrible, that Zack Snyder made this because there are some flaws with it and you get some of the, the Zack, you know, it is trademark Snyder. If you've seen his movies, this is through and through, but I don't know how he pulled this off because it's not something I've seen from him before. And it also confuses me in the fact that I don't understand why this was kept under wraps for so long. If this was the movie that he wanted, I've watched this three times. That is 12 hours of my life since this movie has come out. I don't understand how it took this long to release this movie and what they were thinking, just absolutely demolishing his vision and his story. Because what we get here to me is vastly superior, even though the story remains the same in some aspects, this is vastly superior to what we got in every way, shape, or form. So I can't wait to get into the specifics, but Rob, I'll just let you follow up on that with, is this what you were expecting or did this exceed your expectations? I had low expectations coming into this. Like I said, I I find, and, and look, I think we just kind of have to get out of the way. Joss Whedon is having kind of a bad year. Um, oh yeah. Um, there are a lot of allegations about him, his behavior on set, and there's things coming up about his time on Buffy that this isn't really that kind of show. So we're just going to acknowledge that um, these allegations exist. There are people who are saying that he's kind of a terrible person and does terrible things um, and kind of move on because that's that's not really the show that, that we talk about here. Um, and and now this movie is being regarded as incredible. Um, so he's, he's kind of having a bad year. Um, that being said, my expectations were very low for this. Like I said, you know, there was nobody really liked Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. You know, we, we kind of refer to it as uh, this movie v our sense of reason. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was not good. 
um, you go through his his filmography, uh, Zack Snyder, that is, um, you know, you have things like 300, which I really enjoy. Um, you have Watchmen that you and I broke down um, that was not necessarily well regarded at the time. But you and I, I think both believe that it's a better film than a lot of people remember. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's uh, Legend of the Guardians, which I've never seen. Um then you have Sucker Punch, which is a movie that I like more than you do. Uh, but it's I'm not going to try to pretend it's great. Um, Man of Steel had its moments. Um, then 300 Rise of an Empire. I just, eh, you know, 300 was great. That movie was not good. He, um, he has Dawn of the Dead in there. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead, uh, kind of a cult, you know, neat little zombie film. Um, so I, you know, you go throughout his, his career and there's not a, ton of can't miss hits you you kind of said it perfectly like you couldn't believe that this is what he had put out um there's there's a lot of you know love it or leave it kind of stuff through here and like i'd mentioned they bring in joss whedon who has history of producing uh great fantastic you know he he directed avengers and you and i both loved 2012's avengers um i think i had it in my I'm I'm positive I had it in my top 10. Um, I think I even had it in my top five when we did our ranking show. Um, So there was no reason to think that this was going to be good. And we had heard that Warner Brothers executives had said it was terrible. You know, we'd kind of heard this. We had heard them say, nope, there's not going to be any sequels to this. We're not doing anything with this. We're just kind of letting them put it out there, see if anybody likes it. You know, it'll be what it'll be. Um, And even when you look at the director's cut of Batman v Superman, you know, it added some things, but it still wasn't, it still didn't make it a good movie. Right. Not Um, at all. No, Uh, (laughs) we both just talked about uh, how much we disliked that. Um, But what's weird about this, take every deleted scene from every DVD extra you've ever seen. And you thought, man, why didn't they keep that? That was a good scene. Put all of those into a movie. And that's kind of what you get here. And it's it's so wild to me. Like, I, I describe it as a surreal experience because we've seen this movie before, but we haven't seen this movie before, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, it's so bizarre. Like, I'm sitting there watching this, and it took me, uh, full disclosure, it took me three days to finish this <laughs> across four different <laughs> sittings because <laughs> four hours of, of a movie is not exactly something that fits easily into a father of three who works full-time's lifestyle. Um, by the way, three busy children um, who have a lot right. of activities that I'm happy to, to watch them and be engaged in and stuff like that. But it took me three days to finally get through all four hours because I didn't want to just do 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. I really wanted to immerse myself in this. And I, I wish I could have uh, sat down and watched it, you know, start to finish. And, and I'm sure you'll get a chance to t- tell your story about um, <laughs> the first time you, you watched it. Cause that's a lot more dedication than I was willing to put up uh, for, but um, <laughs> yeah, but it's just, I'm sitting there, I'm watching this going, how did a filmmaker with the credentials of Joss Whedon sit down, look at this footage and go, nah, I got to do 80 new pages. Like, right. how did he do that? How does that happen? And I can't 100% tear Whedon apart for how good this movie is because 
and look, there are plenty of things that we'll, we'll continue to talk about, um, you know, that are going to basically be bagging on what Joss Whedon put out and some of the decisions he made. And, and we can talk about those decisions specifically, but I want to kind of temper some of what will eventually be critiques of him by saying this. If you, if you think about the creative process um, and I can't, Listen, I, the stuff that I do, you know, video production stuff that I do kind of on the side um, is I'm not even pretending it's even remotely in the same galaxy as, as a Hollywood filmmaker. But, um, you know, usually the budgets I'm working with on the projects I'm, I'm contributing to are somewhere in the range of uh, nothing to not a whole lot more than nothing. So that's kind of the production <laughs> budgets that I'm typically working with. So that's just for clarity um, and full disclosure, just getting that out there. But I think about if somebody had already, you know, gone through the pre-production aspects of, of a film and had completely laid out, you know, everything they were going to do. They had this creative vision. They had this idea um, that was going to carry it through from start to finish. They had the relationships with all of the different people in all of these different departments. Everybody was contributing. They had this cohesive idea of start to finish what it was going to look like. And then once principal photography wraps, he has this terrible thing happen in his life and he has to step away from the project. And you bring somebody else in who's not contributed or shared in that vision, who sits down and has to kind of see all of these things. Now, there were definitely things that happened on set where in his mind he's or maybe he's even making notes saying, OK, when I get to post-production, I'm going to need to do this or I'm going to make sure I do this or I need to get VFX to align something a certain way. Right. But it's not it's not the same vision anymore. You know, it's not the same thing that everybody contributed to. So to try to bring and and for people who have never really created art before, it you really the artist really puts a lot of themselves into it. You know, if you if you take somebody who's incredibly artistic, it can be a dancer, a musician, a filmmaker, uh, a sculptor, anything, and you criticize their art, you are to them, somehow also criticizing them. So, you know, they, they just pour themselves into this and to try to replace somebody. It, and I guess a sculpture would be a good thing. Let's, you know, if, if you're a stone cutter and you, and you make sculpture out of granite and you got the rough shape finished and then left and somebody else had to come in and finish it, but didn't have any of your notes and maybe they had your notes, but your style is different from their style. How would that final sculpture look? yeah, you're going to have to maybe do things a little bit different or, or try to put your stamp as, as an artist on it to have it make sense to you, to have it speak to you. So as much as I know we're going to absolutely crush Whedon um, <laughs> over the course of this, of this episode, I do feel like I need to at least, you know, throw that out there. What a, what a hard job that ha would have to be to come in not being part of of everything that went into the, the production design and and all of the different parts of making this film to just kind of jump in after the cast has all gone home and then have to take over from there. Um, I don't envy it, even though I'm going to beat the crap out of him real soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to try to not really backtrack on him and just talk about like, obviously there's differences, but 
I, I will try not to bash on him as much as possible. But one thing that obviously is incredibly different about this movie is it's kind of going forward for us to go back. Even though this follows the same timeline, this, and again, being four hours long, it has more of that advantage. But this movie really makes the Justice League team up and these guys coming together. Boy, is it fleshed out much better. And obviously, again, this movie is two hours longer than what we got in the theatrical cut. But this does, for all intents and purposes, it feels like a team-up movie. There is character beats, character development for every single person. Every single person had time to shine in this movie. And some of the characterization is so far off the charts, uh, especially for Cyborg and Flash. And I'd, I'd like to start with Flash because, Rob, I think you didn't mind him in Justice League. And I... So I'll refer to Justice League as the one that came out in theaters, and I will say Zack Snyder for the version. But I could not stand Flash in the theatrical version. I loved him in this version because he wasn't this scared superhero. He has experience. And again, I don't understand why you would backtrack on his character And to me, in the theatrical version, he was a bumbling idiot. Um, He still has quirkiness in this one, but he's much more confident when he's in the costume. I love Flash in this version because I hated him in the other one. Uh, Rob, I'll start there with some of the differences in this movie. What are your thoughts on Flash? You know, um, I think you hit on it right away. Two of the major things that jump out about this version of the film. I mean, there's a lot of things that jump out. But if you want to talk about character development, yes, absolutely. Uh, The characters of Cyborg and Flash um, are so much better in this because they are fully developed. The theatrical release, I didn't necessarily mind Flash, if I can also acknowledge why people didn't. he was quirky. He was kind of cowardly, um, a little bit annoying at times. But I, you know, ultimately I found some of the scenes that were supposed to be intended to be a little bit lighter. I think I found those a little bit funnier than a lot of other people did. But he's he's a much better character in this one. Um, I, having seen this, I can't go back and defend my thoughts on Flash <laughs> in the theatrical version because this is better. This is just so much better. Um, he's, you know, he's a hero in this, like he may not necessarily understand everything. Um, he may not necessarily have all the experience in the world. He hasn't gone up against, you know, reverse flash and all of these other terrible, you know, creatures he's had to fight. Um, but he's a much more interesting character in this version. Um, and, and the same as cyborg. Yeah. Cyborg, you know, he, Snyder had said when he started doing rounds for this, that cyborg is the heart of this movie. And I, I would agree with that. I think he's very well developed. I believe his relation, you know, seeing his relationship with his father play out again, it's just the character development that you get 
and maybe it's hard again because it's a two-hour difference in the runtime. But again, I don't understand why they needed to cut this movie so much. I, you know, we had Endgame that was three hours long. So maybe, maybe you cut this movie to three hours. But the fact that you just wanted to pump this thing out and get it into theaters and get it in as many showtimes as you can and just, again, completely strip away so much character development is baffling to me. So I love those two. And one of the the first major complaints about Justice League is Steppenwolf. And there's another shocker to me. He, first and foremost, the design. I don't understand why you changed it. Again, confused there. But also, too, he has character development in this. And this is somebody, even though he's a villain, who there's some relatable aspects to him about he's just trying to get back into the good graces of somebody and not saying that you want to get back into the good graces of someone who wants to take over the world, but he has character development. He's not just this weird guy who shows up out of nowhere, calls these things mother, and that's his whole thing. I thought Steppenwolf was actually awesome in this movie and again, I'm trying not to just bash, you know, Joss, but I don't understand where his head was at or what the studio was thinking if they were part of these decisions. Steppenwolf is another one who is 100 times better than what we got originally. Uh, you were 100% correct. Um, we do get some reasoning behind why he feels the way he feels. It was very... <sighs> It wasn't, I, I never really understood it in the theatrical release. It just, his motivations just seemed unclear. And, and like we've talked about on, on other episodes, you know, sometimes your hero is only as, as interesting or as compelling as the villain, the more compelling your villain, the more interesting your villain. Um, I think the better your hero is, um, you know, part of the reason Star Wars is as celebrated as it is, is because Darth Vader's awesome. Like, right. Just it's full stop. Darth Vader is awesome. You know, like you just think about all of the great films and all of the characters you love so much. I would be willing to bet that the one thing that a lot of them have in common is a compelling, interesting villain. And if you want to look at one of the reasons why this works so much better than what we got in 2017, it's start with Steppenwolf. And the fact that he, he is much more interested in this, his character design is better. Um, and we also get dark side in this. Um, I'm sure you're going to want to get into that next, but the fact that we actually see him, we get him, we get some, you know, we talk about the anti-life equation and gets into a little bit of what that means um, really sets the stakes, really makes it obvious why this group has to come together. Um, it, and really, if you, Another thing you got to critique about the theatrical release, it's never really clear why Bruce is building this team. Like it, right. just, it, it doesn't seem obvious in this, it, his motivations make more sense. Diana's motivations make more sense. Um, so many things as, as we'll continue to get to explore these just make so much more sense. And I get it when four hours, like you said, it's twice the runtime. 
you can probably cut it down to three pretty easily. You can get rid of the Scandinavian people singing, you know, the, the villagers singing right. when Aquaman goes into the water. Go ahead. Just cut that. I'm going to, I'm going to give you that one. That's a freebie. That's, that's one you cut. Um, and it wouldn't take too much more to find maybe a scene that runs a little long here or a scene that runs a little long there. Um, the camera tends to drift a, a little bit long in, in some shots. I think there's, right. there's definitely, there's definitely parts that, that take their time getting there. And I'll say this though, the, the, I'll tell you the one, the one overall feeling I had watching this and it starts pretty much at the beginning. This is a beautiful movie. And I'm not really going to tell you that I'm not going to tell you there's, it doesn't have its faults. I'm not going to tell you I don't have things that I would nitpick about it, but just the simple fact that it feels as though the person who really was the driving creative force behind this put a lot of care, a lot of time and, and a lot of love into the creation of this piece of work that we were finally able to see. And it, it just, it felt obvious, you know, when you think about the unlikelihood that we would even get to this point in the first place. I mean, I gave, I gave the odds, like if you could go under 0%, that was the odds I gave it that this could ever happen. And all of the things that had to happen for us to get to this point. Um, and it finally happened. We finally got to see it. We finally got to see his true vision for it. Um, it was just, it was a beautiful experience to be able to sit and watch this and go, oh my God, this is so much better. Oh my God, that scene was so much better. Oh my God, this character is so much better. That that motivation makes more sense. Um, it, I just have no other way to put it than simply, this is this is a beautiful movie. Yeah, I mean, we've we talked about it in a couple other episodes that we've done where we referenced that we were going to do this movie. I mean, make no mistake about it. Like we've said, this is pretty much an unprecedented move for this to actually exist. But the movie's gorgeous. We just talked about Steppenwolf. You know, I, I'll circle back to him too. When he first arrives and he's going to fight and he's going to come down from the boom, t- uh, the boom tube and get the mother box from the Amazons. I knew he was coming because again, there's a lot of the story beats that follow the same path, but I was sitting there like anticipating him coming down and it, it seemed threatening waiting for him to show up. Like he doesn't just show up from the boom tube. It takes a second. You see it coming down and I'm just like, okay, here we go. Here we go. He's coming. And he gets there And one other thing about this movie, again, I say one, there's hundreds of little things. The action in this movie is rough. It feels like super powered beings are fighting each other. And there's one thing that Snyder said during one of his interviews that I loved, especially when the scene where Diana stops the the terrorists from blowing up that building you know, they said it's pretty brutal how she fights those guys. And he said, well, it's a God fighting an individual. There's, there's no battle there. Like it's just, she's going to destroy them basically. And that's what happens. Like the action in this, a lot of the times is very physical, especially towards the end. 
there's some really hard hitting scenes here. And again, I, he's shown that he can do action, but I'm still just, I'll go back to what I originally said. There's a lot about this movie that I'm just like, I can't believe this is the same guy that I've watched before because that this is to me, Snyder at 100% his best. And again, there's still a small thing here and there that I could say, eh, whatever. I still think he, you know, uses slow motion too much. That's a trademark of his. But this is him at his best. The action scenes, everything about it. And for when they said, oh, we needed more humor in this movie, I thought the humor, again, this is just me. I thought the humor that he did have in this hit way better than the theatrical version. So... Again, I'll use the word confused. I'm confused as to what the studio execs saw that they absolutely hated because I I don't get it. Well, they, not only did they have to hate it, but they had to have been willing to spend money on 80 pages of reshoots. Right, I mean, exactly. Yeah, I, obviously, um, you know, soundstage time isn't free. Um Production people don't work for free. Uh, ben Affleck certainly doesn't work for free. Um, <laughs> you've got 80 pages of new script to, to go back and reshoot. And you also have to digitally remove Henry Cavill's mustache, which I'm surprised it's taken us this long to get to acknowledge the fact that it's right. so great that you don't notice a digitally removed mustache at any point of this movie. Like that is a huge highlight of this movie for me. It's, um, it's insane to think about. Because, you know, just recently watching the theatrical version, it's crazy how it's even more in your face how bad he looks in that theatrical version compared to this. It's crazy. But to think that a studio was looking at the rough version of what we just watched over the last week and said, yeah, here's a whole bunch more money like multiple millions of dollars, right? Go do something else. We're going to just take the money we've already spent on this. Just light it on fire. We're going to pretend like it it doesn't exist. It's amazing to me that all of these people involved said, nah, we don't need to. Um, And I've been thinking about this too. So with everything that he has gone through, you know, this movie came out in 2017. He, He started work on it again on his version of it in, in 2020, that's a long time to kind of think about how you would want to approach some things. Now, granted the film was already shot and there was to our knowledge, just one scene that was really reshot um, or added for the purposes of this film. Um, I, I got to think just all that time that he spent wishing that he would have been able to finish it. um, He probably really had a very strong idea of what he was going to do. Um, having had three years to kind of think about it on again, off again. Um, you know, I'm sure we all have projects or things like that. We'd, we'd worked on over the years or contributed to that, you know, with more experience and just more time to think about it and not necessarily being right there in the moment, um, you know, kind of coming back to it later. You, it's amazing. The ideas you have, um, you know, I, I really wonder, and I'd, I'd love to hear from him on this. If, if he thinks he could have produced this had, had that terrible tragedy, not happened in his family, would we still have gotten this? Or is this the result of more time? And, and if you don't believe me that this is possible, 
if you've ever done a puzzle, you know, you can't find anything, you can't find anything, you walk away, you come back into the room, you know, the next day, and all of a sudden you find like eight pieces and you just go bang, 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 like right in a row. Or if you're a big gamer like like Matt and I are, um, there's a boss that just keeps kicking your ass just over and over again, just keeps walloping you, just mopping the floor with you. And, you you know, instead of throwing your controller through the wall, you kind of set it down, you go to bed for the night. The next time you pick it back up, there's so many times in my life where as a gamer, I've just waltzed right through that hard part. Um, it's, it's amazing what time uh, does to allowing you the ability to see something a little bit different. I got to wonder if that's uh, in play here. Yeah, it's, uh, again, we won't ever truly know because, you know, unless for some reason there's time travel, um, we don't know exactly what he originally shot. Maybe there is some, but again, for all intents and purposes, we've heard that the money was to shoot the ending sequence that they did and then to finish up the digital effects. So based on what we are led to believe this whole thing was his original work. So it's a very interesting thing and who knows, maybe we'll, we'll get to it. Eventually we'll hear some more about, Hey, yeah, I did have some time to go back and think about, and I did some little tweaks here and there, but Rob, you, you mentioned dark side and again, he's mentioned once in the theatrical cut but here he is the original villain who comes down to earth where Steppenwolf was defeated first in the theatrical version. He shows up in a dream sequence. He shows up at the end of the movie, which was really tense. The shot of the team looking through the boom tube and dark side, just staring back at them. Um, Whew, oh my goodness. Uh, also watching him use his Omega beams, his voice actor, everything about him is intimidating. You know, seeing the ending scene of this, well, I say the ending scene, but, you know, seeing him say, we're just going to do it the old way, get the armada ready. I don't want to get too far ahead. But seeing the way this movie ends, I it's almost bittersweet for me because now I can't get it out of my head that you have to let him finish his vision. I don't understand how this is not a course correction and we let Zack Snyder just do what he wanted to do originally because I I just don't. I I don't understand how this doesn't get people to go okay, we need the sequels because this sets up some major storylines. I think it's possible though. Um, for being the person who literally said there's absolutely no chance that this is going to happen. And now we're talking about it and breaking it down that it did happen. Um, it, we, you and I are not alone in our overwhelming amazement and joy around this movie. Um, there are certainly people who have spent the same 12 hours with this movie that you have. Um, you know, that is, that is not exclusive to you and I, it seems like the reaction by fans, by media, uh, by the internet at large is incredibly positive 
and people are excited about the possibility that this could continue. And really, if you're Warner Brothers, what's what's the what's the risk here? So you look at what's on their slate. We already have the Suicide Squad coming out soon. Yeah, um, probably won't affect anything that we've seen here. Um, it's hard to think unless there's some Joker stuff. I don't know. Um, I don't think so, though. Um, it, it doesn't seem like there's anything that'll happen there that'll be a problem for moving forward with a Snyder verse, if you will. Um, and from from what I understand, Flash is currently in pre-production or is currently in production. I'm not positive where that stands right now, but it's not done. Like right, it's in production there, right now. There's a lot of things you can do with a Flash movie and a story like Flashpoint that they're clearly adapting at least partially with all of the rumors we've heard about what's happening there. Um, There's a lot of ways where you can decide that the Snyder cut is canon and just retcon um, the theatrical release. Just get it gone. Just sweep it under the rug. It doesn't exist. It never happened. There's a lot of ways you can do it. Um, and I will tell you that I think it is possible. The, the one thing that gives me some pause, though, is even pre this film actually happening, his outline and his story that he wanted to tell across multiple, you know, Justice League 2, Man of Steel 2, Justice League 3, and, and all of the, you know, there was a Flash movie that he was going to be involved in. There was a Cyborg movie that was supposed to be in there. There was, you know, a Green Lantern film that was in there. Um it's kind of out there. Like, I think if you, if you want to find out what his vision was for the next series of films, it's not hard to find. No, Um, not at all. And I don't know necessarily that now that I know what those are, I don't know that I would love that as film. I I would, I want to see Snyder continue with this, but I want to see him do something different than what he already told me he was going to do. I could see them because one character that it, again, you can, with Flashpoint, you can make things happen. The one character that seems really out of place from his solo movie and his development is Aquaman. So that would take a little bit of work because he definitely is where his solo movie took him is not really when you look at everything that's involved it's not where he leaves off. It almost feels like his solo movie was originally intended to be incredibly different than what we got. So I could see some problems there, but Snyder's vision for justice league two and three alone makes me want to see that. Um, And heck I'm not going to talk about it yet, but what is dubbed as the nightmare sequence at the tail end of this movie. It also makes me, well, first and foremost, one character in particular, I am a huge fan of Robert Pattinson. I like him a lot. I've seen him in more than just twilight. So I'm not one of those people who are like, Oh, the twilight guy is going to be Batman. I'm super excited for his movie. But after this, I need more. I need more Batfleck. I just, he is so good as Batman and he's really good as Bruce Wayne. And again, one of the, the terrible things about this for me is the scene with Lex Luthor and Deathstroke. That was the original cut that was set up to do that solo movie. And seeing that I'm like, 
oh my God, how do we not get that? So that's almost like a bittersweet moment for me where if we never get any of this stuff, just seeing some of these scenes, I'm like, oh God, I can't believe like, oh, that's what we were going to get. Like, please make it happen. Um, Rob, what are you, what are your thoughts on, on that? And I, I think this Listen. movie redeemed Ben Affleck for me as Batman because the theatrical cut, I thought he took a huge step back from Batman V Superman, where he was pretty much regarded as the best thing of that movie. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to see more Batfleck. I want to see him return. Um, I would, I, I feel very much like you did that. Holy cow. We get all of these little, just little bait that's just dropped out there for us to, to kind of grab at. And it doesn't feel right now. Like there's a good chance of it paying off, but let me right. ask you a question. When you watched this uh, version of the film with this version of Deathstroke and the little kind of, um, you know, just a little carrot that they dangled out there for you. Did you feel differently than the first time you saw a picture of Henry Cavill in the black suit year, you know, two years ago when you first saw it, not ever thinking that a Snyder cut was going to happen. Is it kind of the same feeling for you? Um, hmm. Like, do you mean seeing him in the suit? Like, how was my reaction or do I think we're going to get that? Sorry. Well, just when, when the, when the pictures of Henry in the black Superman suit that we didn't see in the theatrical version that we didn't even gotcha. know existed, um, all of a sudden those things surfaced and we're going, Oh God, why didn't we get that? Like, we want that. Like, why can't I have that? Um, to me, it's, it's kind of similar. Like, it, you know, seeing all these things, hearing all these things about what Snyder's vision was supposed to be, um, you know, two years ago, three years ago now. Um, it, it's, it's so just um, the word I'm looking for, I, I'm, I'm losing, but it's like, it's so tempting. It's, it's so like, I want it. Why can't I have it? Um, and I, I feel that different things that they laid out, you know, like even a, a standalone cyborg movie that we had heard we were going to get, Based right. on what happens, you know, so much of this, it's it's hard to think that Ray Fisher is going to. He's got too much beef with too many people at Warner Brothers, and he was fantastic as Cyborg, and the character of Cyborg was fantastically written and developed in this version of the movie. Um, and it seems unlikely, although it, I'm not going to... I'm never going to say never again with right. regard to this, <laughs> this film universe. Cause I already said never way too many times and I was completely wrong. Um, it seems very unlikely that he'll be back, which is, which is very disappointing. Um, Cause there was so much that worked better. You know, one of the things that, that we talked about in the theatrical release was just how forced and how unnecessary and kind of lame the scenes were between Victor and his father and, and their tension seemed one that existed for script purposes than for any kind of reality. Um, that it doesn't feel that way in this, it, it, there, there is some tension there, but it's the, the absentee father kind of uh, tension, um, him not being there, him maybe having been there would have prevented the accident in the first place, as opposed to, I can't believe you saved my life and gave me these unbelievable powers. Like, I can't believe you did that to me, which was what happened in the first one. And it didn't work at all. Right. Yeah. The, the tension in this movie where it's supposed to be and where it's not supposed to be 
lines up very well compared to the theatrical version. Uh, even the resurrection of Superman, I think, is handled incredibly in this movie. It's understandable why they would want to bring him back because up until, you know, in the theatrical version, yes, he gets the mother boxes, but Steppenwolf never feels like a threat. So the fact that Bruce is like, oh, we just, we got to get him back. We have to bring, you know, we have to use the mother boxes and his forced tension with Diana about Steve Trevor and everything else. And, you know, it, it felt so forced in the theatrical version, but it felt incredibly natural when the team was together. And again, that's another thing that's so great about this movie is you can see the team building throughout the movie and you can see them coming together and bonding and growing as a team and Bruce being a better leader. That scene where they're going to bring him back and they're like, okay, I'm not going to be the one to say it, but like everybody's thinking the same thing. And then cyborg projects the vision of Superman. Again, I'll use the word earned because up until this point, Steppenwolf is beating them at every turn. Like they need something to help tip the scales because again, there's more at stake. You've seen dark side. They realize that like, Holy cow, this guy is going to wipe everything out. We, if this is possible, this is why we need to do it. It feels more natural than what we originally got. So when Superman comes back, I was like, yes, I actually felt something for him coming back, which is pretty, it's rare to me that I actually felt some of the emotions that I did. Cause again, this movie ties so closely to Batman V Superman, which we talked about and we can't stand, but even though we can't stand that the carryover it works in this movie, um, at least for me. I won't speak for you, but based on how you've described this movie, I would feel that it's still like those things work for you as well. Um, absolutely. I think the whole plot to bring Superman back naturally feels right in this. And in the theatrical release, it's like, uh, yeah, you're just bringing him back because he's Superman and he's an A-level character and he's going to make a lot of money and you're not going to have a Justice League movie without him. Like, okay, this is the time of the movie where you where you figure out how to bring him back. Like, that, it really felt, it, it was clunky. There's really right. no other way to put it. It was clunky. And this... It was natural. It made sense. It worked. It was a team decision. They they did it together. There wasn't that forced tension. Um, it it was a million times better. Um, fast forwarding just slightly, one more scene. If I am going to pick something that I want to point out, I think works better in Whedon's version than Snyder's version. Bruce Wayne, being the master detective that he is, plans for everything. He's mm -hmm. got a contingency for his backups and he has a backup for his contingencies. Um, in the theatrical release, he has Lois Lane on standby in case Clark goes nuts when he comes back and isn't able to be contained or, or goes a little, you know, goes a little crazy, just starts attacking things, starts punching things, starts blowing up things. She's there to hopefully capture his heart and, and bring him back 
um, and give him something he loves that he recognizes just in case he decides to go Hulk smash on them, which is what he does in the original Snyder version. She was just there because she happened to be visiting the monument. And I think so far, that's probably the one thing that I will say. Um, I actually really like a lot more about the theatrical release. Um, I, I also kind of, th- I, I want to talk about the music a little bit too at another point, but in terms of things I like better about the theatrical release, that's one. Um, did you think that the same as I did, or did you like the Snyder version? It, it's hard for me to say that I like it more or less. I still feel that Snyder's version, because she was, even though it seems like a coincidence, it's more explained to me because throughout the movie, it's made known that she's still devastated by the fact that Clark's gone and she does this like every single day. She's not working. She delivers coffee to this cop. Um, so I don't have a necessarily like a problem with it or think that the theatrical version is better just because I do feel like there's actually a storyline reason for her to be there. And it's not just like, yeah, well that's convenient. She just happened to show up to the monument the same day that Clark comes back to life. Uh, so I'm willing to look like, look over that a little bit more. I will say though, one thing that I think is kind of unnecessary and it took away some of the emotion to it is when Martha talks to Lois about coming back to the land of the living, I feel like the weight of that scene is wiped out given the fact that the reveal is it's Martian Manhunter that went and talked to Lois. I I just feel like that was completely unnecessary in that regard, and I felt it took away from that scene for me because up until that point, I was like, oh, that was pretty powerful. That shows the relationship that she, like that they have and how difficult it is for her to sit there and talk to Clark's mom about how much she misses him because I'm sure Martha misses him incredibly. So I don't mind the Lois being at the monument. I more so mind that addition of Martian Manhunter for that scene. I feel exactly the same way as you. Um, I have that written down as a note and I know that you're probably not working off of notes because you're crazy like that. You just <laughs> can remember this stuff. I promise there is no chance you're looking down at a piece of paper or anything digital with these thoughts written out. I have that down literally in, in my notes that, that I really just dislike that that was Martian Manhunter the whole time. It was a great scene. It did have some great character dialogue um, that completely gets wiped out by it is Martian Manhunter. It feels like, well, it's time to introduce this character. So this is what we're going to do, you guys, as opposed to like, it's purposeful. Like, what was the reason for that? Why was he there? So I want to know, like, why was Martian Manhunter there? What was the point of that interaction? And there really isn't one. It's only there for us to be like, ah, you know, we're, we're all Leo holding a beer and a cigarette pointing at the TV screen. Right. Ah, there he is. That's Martian Manhunter, you guys. Hey, hey, I'm going to explain to you who Martian Manhunter is because you're only a casual fan and you don't know who he is. So I'm going to have to tell you now who he is. But that's that's a real thing. You know, like it, it was kind of disappointing um, because like was was Lois never going to 
talk to Martha again and and be like, oh yeah, hey, when you were over for coffee the other day, I really appreciated that chat. And like, oh, what are you talking about? I wasn't there. Right. They're never going to do that. <laughs> like that was never going to happen. And now all of a sudden, she realizes there's shapeshifters in the world too. Like, I hate it. Yeah, uh, I totally undermines the scene for me. One thing though, Rob, we talked about this, so we can stick on. Lois and Martha. And again, I don't know if it's just because I'm willing to overlook it because I, I love this movie. I can't stress that enough. Uh, Rob, you had mentioned earlier uh, what I did to watch this movie. I actually woke up at 3am on the day of release to watch this, <laughs> watched it till 7am got ready for work and then did a bell shift, which in our line of work uh, for people that are listening is 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. That's how much I wanted to see this movie. Uh, Actually, no, I'm sorry. I only worked till uh, 630. My apologies. Uh, But still, (laughs) um, it's it's still a lot later in the day than I would have worked to to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Like By the that's way, how there's much. nothing I'm waking up at three o'clock in the morning for it at my age. Not a chance. I think <laughs> I might've done that when the halo three multiplayer beta came out like years ago, when you had to buy uh, that game crackdown in order to have access to the halo mm-hmm. three multiplayer beta. I think I woke up at like five or six o'clock in the morning to do that, but that's the only time I've literally ever done that in my life. Um, and, and I was not surprised to find out when, when you told me that you were up at three, I was like, well, that's yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's Matt. <laughs> yeah, I had I had already texted you and I was like, so I've seen it and I love it. And here's this. Um, but so, again, I don't know if I'm willing to overlook a couple of things. But speaking of Martha Clark and Lois, after she gets Clark to settle down and she's like, let's go away. It, we talked about in the theatrical version how it was just like, oh, So you were resurrected to obviously for a purpose, but let's just go fly away and we're kind of going to take our time. I, in this version, I don't care again, because I feel like the scene is fleshed out. It was nice to see them, you know, again, the acting where Martha pulls up in the truck and she's almost like stumbling to walk to Clark because she's just in shock that he's there I I don't know. Again, it's it's little character moments that Snyder is able to capture without dialogue too, with just f- facial expressions and body movement. I don't mind this scene anymore because I'm just I'm caught up in the emotion of what it would be like for her to see her son again. It's something that um you gotta you gotta wonder what was what was going on with him at this very moment he's putting this scene together because this scene was incredibly emotional um thinking about somebody who has lost a child um i'm gonna just go ahead and knock on all the wood surrounding me that that neither of us or anybody who's listening to this uh, ever has to experience that because i can't even begin to imagine um i gotta imagine this this had to be a very difficult scene for him to do um, right. at this stage of his life to think about how you represent a parent who's lost their child and then the child comes back to them somehow. Um, man, what, uh, 
whew, I'm just thinking about being in the booth with him as he's making the decisions on how to represent this scene in the editing room. Um, you wonder how we got through it. Yeah, it's, jeez, uh, it's it's hard to think about because, you know, it's one of those things where you don't know what to say, so you almost say nothing because you don't want to th- you don't want to think about that at all. Um, but yeah, it, it it's a great scene. It's a powerful scene, and the only thing that I will say about Superman coming back is for fans. It's great fan service, but when you have a four-hour cut, I did find it a little interesting that there is no explanation as to why he would have the black suit on coming back because the blue and red suit is right there. Like You get that cool shot of him walking through the ship. All of the suits are being shown, but you you don't see the black suit in this scene because he's staring at it and the camera is from, you know, in front of the suit, so to speak. Um, I thought maybe there could have been something there, but Rob, you wanted to mention the, the score in this movie. And I think maybe this is a good time to bring it up because I thought the score was amazing. We talked a little bit earlier today, the wonder woman score when she first breaks uh, breaks into that building to stop the terrorists. Oh my God. That wonder woman score is phenomenal. I thought Superman walking through the ship was phenomenal. I think the only time I had a problem with the score in this movie was the final battle, because at one point I thought for some reason, my speaker was picking up an outside signal. It just seemed a little bit out of place, but other than that one scene at the end, I think the score in this is fantastic. And I will say, sorry, number two, I do miss the fact that they, in this version for Snyder's cut, took out the Danny Elfman Batman theme, although it's briefly in the theatrical cut. I I don't know why that was replaced because I thought it fit very well. So a couple things. Um, Yes, the Danny Elfman uh, Batman theme, while I definitely enjoyed hearing it, um, in the theatrical release of Justice League, it's almost a little fourth wall breaking because it pulls you out of the movie and you go, ah, that's the other Batman theme from the other Batman <laughs> movies. It pulls you out just a little bit, even though as good as it is, like, uh, but yes, the Wonder Woman theme that they've used uh, throughout you know, her appearances in film is just so good. It is fantastic. It is right up there with, with any of the other ones that are um, any, any superhero theme you can think of. Um, it is just so good. Just give me, give me that on loop and I, and I'm happy. I, I actually think in general, I like the score from the theatrical release better. Um, it's hard to argue with Hans oh. Zimmer. Uh, it really is. Um, and certainly wrapping it up with, uh, Gary Clark Jr. I, I mentioned on our breakdown of the theatrical releases. I'm a huge fan of his, um, at the beginning of the, of the theatrical release, you know, I can definitely do without the everybody knows song. It's kind of boring. It, ugh, I didn't like it. You know, I just didn't like that whole opening scene, Um, but a lot of you can actually see parallels between the score in this and what he does in something like The Watchmen. You know, there's music in the background 
that is very tonally different from what's happening on screen. Now in Watchmen, there's little Easter eggs in the lyrics that line up with what you're seeing on screen, very much like what Alan Moore did with the text and the dialogue over, you know, overlaid what's happening in his nine panel grid. Um, so I like that Snyder kind of nodded to to that in, in the Watchmen. But but here there's just times where I just you know, I, I feel like I just really like the score better in, in the in the original theatrical release. Although there are parts of this that I do like. In in general, I think one of the if I'm going to kind of count things I liked better in the original compared to this, um, I think overall the score was better in the first. All right, um, chalk one up for the theatrical version. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, spoiler alert: there's not going to be a lot more times I say that. <laughs> What uh, what did you think? Because, okay, so Superman comes back and he does his scene. I absolutely in this version, and I didn't mind his first scene with Steppenwolf in the theatrical cut where he says, I'm a big fan of truth, but I also, or however he says it, like, or I'm a fan of truth, but I also believe in justice. I didn't mind that in the theatrical version. But to me, it pales in comparison when he just slides in and takes that axe to the shoulder. And he's like, I'm not impressed. I was like, get him, Superman. Kick his ass. <laughs> like, like, I was just like thrilled for that scene. Like, that was another moment where, and I'll talk about the you know, one of the other ones. I, I literally was like like vaulted out of my seated position because I just, I love that introduction to him just being like, well, I'm here. It, um, it really lets us see Superman unload in a way that, Oh, he's um, vicious. Yeah. We haven't been able to see him before because every other time, you know, there's things he's holding back from there's, there's things that he, you know, was worried about collateral damage. Certainly when he's fighting General Zod, you know, there's a whole city around him. When he's fighting Bruce he, in, in Batman v Superman, Dawn of a terrible movie, um, he, he doesn't want to kill Batman. You know, he doesn't really want to do that. In this, it's an abandoned city. Um, have at it, man. You know, smash things, you know, go nuts. Um, and uh, it's, it's so much fun to see a fully powered up Superman with no reason to pull his punches, just go ham. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, it, it reminds me of some other times that we've seen, um, you know, characters recently who, for whatever reason, we never got to see them at, at full power. You know, I, I think about when we talked about in The Mandalorian, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen that, which really, why have you not seen The Mandalorian? Right, exactly. Like, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, what is wrong with you? Like, what do you do all day? Like, why have you not seen that? Anyways, um, when we get Luke, you know, that shows up at the end and uh, just absolutely just smashes and it's awesome. Like it's, it's that kind of cool for me. Um, and it makes me disappointed that we might not get that again. You know, of all the things, like, there's a lot of things we're going to be disappointed that we might not get. I'm never going to say never, but yeah, it was, it was awesome to have him just show up and just start walloping. Yeah. He, uh, again, everybody has a chance in, Again, the action in this is much more hard hitting than the theatrical cut. Even though some of it's the same, the like every everything just feels heavier during the action scene. There's certainly where the scene where Steppenwolf is pulling the Atlanteans, the 
parademons are pulling the Atlanteans out of the ocean and he just whips the one against the rock and there's blood in this movie. Uh, everything about it is just more violent and visceral. But even like Aquaman, when he's fighting, Wonder Woman, when she's fighting, everything has more oomph to it. And the other scene that I was just so enamored with is to me now it goes right on par with that first 360 spin of the Avengers is that quick like screen grab shot of the Justice League together in that final battle. That scene, I love that that shot. It is just again to me it was like this is the Justice League. Like these are like this is what this movie was supposed to be. This is the feeling that you were supposed to get seeing these characters on screen. And that team up shot for me is right up there with how I felt the first time I saw the Avengers all on screen together with the music playing. It's a great shot. And it was one of the ones that was used over and over again to promote the Snyder cut. Um, So you knew it was coming at some point. In fact, because we've seen the theatrical release, we even know when to expect it. And even still, um, seeing it was wow. You know, it's, it's a goosebumps moment. Um, talking about how the action scenes just work better, particularly in this final battle scene. Um, I think part of the reason it works so well is it, it they're heavier. Yes. Um, there's, there's a whole lot more going on, but they're not stopping every 30 seconds to throw out a silly quip or, or just be, right. you know, just throwing, brevity and for the sake of brevity which is what we get a lot of in the in the whedon version of this film um you know the studio apparently wanted him to make it lighter so not okay and just and kind of made it a little silly at times um and it doesn't fit the tone it doesn't fit the characters you know um batman's only funny when when it's really hysterical how not funny he is you know like that's not that's not him um it just, it, you know, Dick Grayson's funny, you know, at, at right. times, um, Damian Wayne can be really funny with how serious he is at times, you know, but it's, it's actually funny. Like there are these characters around him, but he himself is, you know, Alfred is hysterical at times. Um, it, but yeah, it, it just works better when you let the work speak for itself and, and not try to force anything into it. It's, it's a great example of studios meddling with the product. Yeah. Just let, let creative people who have proven themselves and have credibility, um, let them do their thing, you know, like, and granted up to this point, why would you have really thought that Snyder was the guy you could just give full creative control to without having any oversight? Because look, Batman B Superman was terrible. Man of steel was okay. Um, throughout his his career you can look at some things and go eh maybe maybe not you know if you're trying to kickstart what you hope will be a multi-billion dollar franchise that will take you to 23 plus films like the mcu has maybe snyder's not the guy you go with but you know let don't get in creative people's way as long as they have people who are going through their stuff with the red pen and saying hey take a look at this or maybe rethink this or what if you did this instead? And they actually listen to those people. Um, let, 
don't don't get in the way. Bean counters have never created a successful multi-billion dollar franchise. Creative people have. Let them do their thing. Yeah, it again, it's baffling to me how this movie sat on the shelf for so long and what they were thinking when they saw this movie and said, nope, we can't do this. This is terrible. Uh, this is what we want to do with it. We want to take it in this direction. Um, yeah, it's it's just very... Oh, God, it's so odd to me to to see this movie. <laughs> it really is. Like I just I'm baffled by to see this movie and to see what we got and to go. So wait a minute. Somebody sat in an office, saw Snyder's version, although unfinished with like effects, and then saw the new version and said, Yep, this is what we need to go with. Like, you know, if you didn't want the movie to be four hours again, like, hey, look, um, maybe we just need to cut this back. Like we can't, we can't release this in theaters at four hours. And I could certainly see that. I, I don't know how this movie would have worked in theaters. I, I think I can say that pretty comfortably in this day and age. I don't think this movie, the way it is could have been released in theaters, but I think there's enough here where you could have cut it and still had a coherent story and not di- like not have just completely reworked it the way that you did. Because again, even though the story elements are the same, it's so, you know, now there's no taking back what was reshot. You, uh, you know, the opening scene, we didn't even get into that. And, you know, here's where we can talk about some of that. The whole opening is completely reshot. The opening in the Snyder cut is, basically the ending of Batman V Superman where Superman is impaled by I'm going to air quote doomsday spike. But again, it ties into Luther's comments about the bell has been rung because as Superman is dying, I thought it was a cool shot seeing his scream just echo throughout the world and awakening mother boxes and cyborg picking up on it to where in the theatrical cut, you get the parademons out of nowhere. You get Batman, you know, setting up some random street criminal who then, for all intents and purposes, he just, he lets go after he was robbing a house. And he's like, okay, see, I just use it for this parademon. Um, I don't understand how you saw both of these and didn't say, okay, let's just cut this back a little bit and said, here's a bunch of money, like you stated earlier, go reshoot. It's, it's so wild um, watching this. Like I described it earlier as being surreal. And yes, the story beats are all basically there, but it's almost like, it's almost like you have two different friends that were around for an incident that you weren't around for. And one friend tells you the story and you kind of get the general idea. Then your other friend tells you the story and it's still the same story, but but it's being told differently. You know, like the the parts that they thought were more important than the than your first friend. Like it's it's very much that way. And, and your second friend tells the story better. Maybe your second friend tells the story a little long, and you're like, all right, you know, speed it up a little bit here. But you get more details out of it. You're actually more invested and interested in the story the way your second friend told it. It's just so bizarre to see, like. Because we've never really seen anything like this before. This has never no. happened, to my knowledge, that 
that a studio has done this. And I think in the modern age of streaming, and look, I, I have no reason to think that streaming's going away. You know, for as much as I think people complain about the just crazy amount of streaming services that are available now, um, streaming's here to stay. It is it is the way that we will consume entertainment uh, for the future, uh, for who knows how long, but definitely for the future. It's it's not going to go away. Um, it's only going to continue to grow. Um, so why not? You know, if you've got something that would not work in theaters, if you've got something that may not necessarily work on traditional television, um, why not do it on a streaming service? And then you can consume it exactly as much of it as you want, like I did, where it took me three days to watch it. Um, but that's that's the only way this – sure, could you cut this down to three hours? Yeah. Could you take this and make it two films? Because, look, there's definitely parallels between the plot of this and the plot of Infinity War slash end-to-end game. Where and look, there's there's tons of parallels if you want to draw them between Darkseid and Thanos and what they were both trying to do and why. Um, that you know those characters are kind of ripped off of each other in the comics, anyways. Um, so go ahead and compare them. But if you wanted to, could you have made the first movie um, them getting their butts kicked? You know, introducing the new characters, have them come together, they get their butts kicked. In the middle, we get a flash movie, we get a cyborg movie, something that fleshes them out a little bit more. And then we come back to justice league part two, where they win. And maybe it, maybe it spins into what would have been more of that nightmare uh, world. I, I kind of wonder if maybe they should have just done that. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of, you know, ways it could have gone and maybe they could have broken this up, but Again, the the thing for me is I just I still will never understand how we got to the cut that we got coming to theaters. I just it it will baffle me for I don't know the rest of my days, I, I guess, until I'm <laughs> until I'm too old and senile to remember things like this. Um, I, I'm just so baffled by it because, again, I have watched this movie three times. I have st- I have taken 12 hours of my time and I've had a little bit of a vacation here from work. So I've had more time um, than probably what the average person has right now with their, you know, their time frames. But I've watched this three times because I love this movie. It is right now number two on my all time favorite superhero movies just behind X-Men Days of Future Past. That is still my number one. But this is this is right there to me. This is everything I wanted from a superhero movie. It, it's it checks all of the boxes for me. So yeah, I, I guess I'll just I'll say that point to reiterate how much I'm confused <laughs> by how well, this and here's the came thing, to be. These are not you're, you're talking about people who are very good at making money in the film business how did they look at what Snyder had put together and go, nope, we can do better. See what Whedon was going to give them. And I went, yeah, that's better. Thank God we have that. Like, holy cow. If we didn't have this come along, you guys, our film universe would be in the toilet. Like there would be so many problems with our film universe. If we didn't have Whedon come in and fix all of the problems that Snyder gave, it's, 
it's mystifying. Like they had no focus groups look at any of this stuff. Like they didn't have, or, or even just anybody intelligent, like sit down and look at this and go, yep, that's better. Right. And ironically, the theatrical cut is what put their connected universe into the toilet um, and started them creating individual stories where they were just like, well, we're not really connected, but we are, but we're just going to focus on trying to make individual movies the best that we can. And we're not really concerned about a connected universe anymore because, oh, we just got, you know, if this were a sports outing, it would, you know, if it was football, it would be, we just lost 65 to nothing and what the heck. So it's crazy, but uh, I digress because we're, again, yeah. not trying to just bag on the theatrical version. We're trying to talk about the Snyder version. So one other thing that I, I want to bring up is Rob. I, I want to talk about this point because this is another thing of where I know there's a lot of talk about this right now, and I'm somebody who would want to see what happens here. I said to you, to me, this movie has the greatest F-bomb drop in a superhero movie. I don't know if you feel the same because we haven't talked about it, but to me, this for me, this is hands down the single best F-bomb in a movie, and it's at the end with the nightmare sequence where Batman tells Joker, yeah, like make no mistake about it, I'm going to kill you. And again, there's an F-bomb in there that I'm not going to say on the air here. Right. This is a family show after all. It, it, Holy cow. Not only do I think that is just the greatest drop of all time for superhero movies. Now, like a lot of people, holy cow. I need to see more Ben Affleck as Batman. And I almost need to see Jared Leto now as more Joker and see what he does with that version of the Joker compared to what we got in suicide squad, because boy, the tension between them and the dialogue was, it was so unbelievable. Like I just sitting there and especially Batman, he says, I'd be very careful about what you say to me next. And then he's just like, that's not very careful. Um, Yeah. The chemistry between those two, or at least the dialogue, because I guess you can't say chemistry, just the way that the dialogue is written, because they weren't even filming that scene together. They filmed those scenes separately and they spliced the the footage together. The dialogue makes it seem, though, that like, yeah, these two characters, to me, that was a perfect betrayal of Batman and Joker's relationship. It was very compelling, very interesting. Um, in terms of best use of an f bomb in a in a in a superhero film, I kind of I kind of like the one in uh, um, X Men First Class when they uh, they go try to pick Logan, um, uh, uh, Magneto, and, and Xavier try to get him, and he he tells them in no uncertain terms um, that it's that he's not going to. Um, right. That's what I like a lot. Um, you know, I'd have to really think about it, but it's it's phenomenal. You're right. Um, there is so much menace. There is so much just venom dripping from every word he says. Um, it is unbelievable. It it makes you just incredibly curious 
what could have happened that led them to become allies where, where Batman really, really, really wants to just drive the Batmobile over his head, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And yet he doesn't, he somehow needs Joker. There's clearly a reason he needs him. Um, there, there's a, there's something going on. Um, that is a phenomenal movie that we may not ever get to see, but what leads to that point? I feel like I have to, I have to see it. I, I just, I desperately want to see that. Um, Leto, I have problems with his, his interpretation of the Joker that we got in Suicide Squad. I, um, I rank him very low on my list of all time great Jokers. Um, I guess on the list of great versions of the character, he's not on my list. <laughs> um, he's, he's, his interpretation is very, very low. I don't know how much of it I blame him for and how much of it I blame on the filmmakers of Suicide Squad because I just overall just, I question a lot of those decisions. Um, this ver- this version, it's the same character, but it's a, it's a more reserved version. He tones down some of the really goofy aspects of it. Um, maybe not quite enough. He, I think he still has some dramatic pauses that are that are really unnecessary, but it's a much more interesting version. I could have handled this version of Joker and Suicide Squad much better than the one we got. And we don't have to deal with the stupid facial tattoos either, which I'm in favor of. Yeah, I thought he portrayed him much better. Because again, I mean, yes, his betrayal in Suicide Squad. But again, at the same time, this is the character that the script called for in a way. He was supposed to be this business-like gangster in this Suicide Squad world where, oh, I'm sorry, he has... Like, I think at one point he has like what an accountant with him because he's just he's randomly strolling around a bar that he may or may not own and just all these random things that it's like. So the Joker's part of like everyday society and he owns businesses and it was just such a weird portrayal. Um, but yeah, just the way that he talks and the things that he says it makes me want more and it makes me wonder, like you said, okay, well, what happened? Cause he even tells him like how many, how many universes do we have to go back to or how many timelines? Uh, I should remember his exact line, but because you're too much of a coward to die yourself. Uh, okay. What do you mean he's too much of a coward to die himself? Has he had the opportunity where if Batman would be the one who's killed, something else happens? Why isn't he the one? Because it makes it seem like they've gone back several times to try and figure out how they're going to prevent this future from happening. Why hasn't he made that decision yet? There's just so much. There's so much intrigue by this nightmare sequence that, again, I just go just like I wanted to see what Snyder's vision was for justice league. Now I'm even more of, I I'm in that hashtag restore the Snyderverse <laughs> camp where, okay, well what's going on. And certainly some of the stuff that he's talked about where look, the second movie is, you know, it's the nightmare sequence where dark side is taken over. And the third movie they're going to go to dark side's home world. And there's even talks about what would happen with Batman from the third one, which I actually think is pretty intriguing. 
uh, spoilers where Rob, if you haven't read it, where Batman does die in the third movie and Lois and Superman have a son who does not have powers and he actually takes up the mantle of Batman. I think you branching that out over two movies that could have a lot of impact, especially with the relationship that it seems like Bruce and Clark are supposed to have going forward. So I, I really want to see it. And based on, again, never say never. And I don't think right now it's still more in the camp that it won't happen for me than it will. But even people who are not a fan of Snyder, there's a lot more positive buzz for this and wanting to see this vision fulfilled than there is negative. Um, I just, yeah, that nightmare sequence leads to so much potential. I don't really know anybody and I've not really ever talked to anybody that saw the theatrical release of justice league and went, Oh, that's such a good movie. Holy cow. That is among my favorites. It is so good. I love it. I own the special edition 4k Blu-ray. Like, I don't know anybody who can say that. Um, Did they even make a Blu-ray? I, I think they put it out on Betamax, honestly. Like, it's why bother? Right. <laughs> who, who owns this movie? Like, nobody. Um, but for this one, I, I haven't. And like, like I said, it's only been out less than a week. Yeah, less than a week. Um, I, I'm only hearing not just positive, but glowing, overwhelming positive thoughts and feelings on this film. Um this is being picked up all over the place. Um, there are people talking about this film that normally wouldn't touch superhero type stuff. Um, I'm never going to say never. It's I think restore the Snyderverse will continue to grow in popularity. And look, Warner Brothers is not in the business to lose money. If they believe that there is a market for these films and for bringing this filmmaker back into the fold and kind of making him the, you know, the Kevin Feige, if you will, of the DC universe and just saying, all right, man, do your thing. Here's all the TV shows. Here's all the movies. What do you want to direct? What do you just want to produce? Write out your vision. Um, If they think it will make them money, it's possible. It is absolutely possible because what have they got to lose at this point? I mean, outside of, this film. So let's flash back. Let's, let's go backwards a month. How much excitement was there about the next DC release? But really not a lot. I mean, sure. The suicide squad with James Gunn, it'll probably be fun. You know, if you think about what he did with the guardians films, he, he took characters that nobody had really heard of. Like even hardcore nerds were like, who wait, it has a tree and a talking raccoon. Who are these people? I've never heard of them. Right. Um, and and made it, you know, those the first one especially is is a highlight of the first, you know, twenty three films. The second one, not so much, but it's still got fun moments. Those characters are a blast, and and definitely um, ones that we want to see going forward. And he was able to do that. So, am I excited for what he's going to do with the Suicide Squad? Why don't they just call it Suicide Squad two, or just give it a new name? Like, oh, right. so dumb. Man, is DC not good at naming movies? Can we just get that out there? They're not good at naming movies. Um, the Suicide Squad. 
Um, I'm kind of excited to see it because I think it'll be a lot of fun because the first one I liked more than most people did. And we get uh, Margot Robbie back as Harley Quinn, which I think she was absolutely a highlight um, of the first Suicide Squad movie. She was a lot of fun and I just liked what she did. Yeah, she's um, she's a great casting choice. Uh, I, yeah. I totally agree with that, even though I don't like Suicide Squad. Um, yeah, she, she's really good. I'd be very interested to see her continue that role beyond suicide squad, the suicide squad. <laughs> but I mean, what, what interest does the DCEU have right now? I think most of the interest is just simply from what we're hearing about the flash movie and how, okay, now that the Snyder cut is being, you know, it's happening. Now all of a sudden you're hearing all these people who said they were walking away from it altogether, or at least coming back for this. And we're hearing Michael Keaton's involved and we're hearing all of these right. things. Like those things are getting people excited, but this movie, the Snyder cut is getting people excited and wanting more from this. I really think there's a strong possibility Warner brothers captures that or clues in on that and says, Hey, the fans might spend money on this if we continue. Yeah. I don't even think really the excitement is for the flash. I think the excitement stem from the fact that, Oh, Hey, you know, the rumor and now what seems to be, you know, the overall truth of that movie is, are, wait, are you kidding me? Michael Keaton's going to come back as Batman. Um, that's where really excitement for, to me, the flash started. It wasn't like, oh, cool. We're getting a flash movie. It was Michael Keaton's back. So yeah, yeah. I don't think DC has, you know, a, a lot of, steam in the train so to speak except for now every single news feed that i have has something about justice league and again too one thing that i want to say is in this day and age where everything is now just instant gratification the fact that a four hour long movie can get good reviews with i mean let's face it the extent the attention span is just non-existent almost nowadays where it's like, okay, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Give me this. Give me this. Give me this. The fact that a four hour movie is getting this kind of rave review and this kind of buzz is even to me more special because you're getting it from such a wide range of viewers. It's not, again, it's people that don't even like Zack Snyder saying, no, this is, this is good. This is very good. He has, you know, taken this movie to another level. So I don't know. I just, if they were willing to pump $70 million into a movie that they said was garbage again, I'm not going to say it's a slam dunk, but I just, if people were so adamant to get this movie released now that this movie has more fans, I think it's going to be very hard to ignore doing something more with, with Snyder's vision. So there are um, internet reactions out there that I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen them as well from people who just like you have seen this film more than once and sometimes more than twice, um, <laughs> which to think about having 12 hours of your life invested in seeing this movie, that seems like a lot of time. And, and I would think, wow, that's a whole lot of time until I stopped to think how much time in my life I've spent watching movies, 
TV shows, playing video games and reading comic books. If you take that, the, the amount of time I've spent in nerdy endeavors and condensed it into one single period of time, I could have started and finished med school. So I'm not going to judge anybody for for what they do with, with their free time. Uh, far be it from me. I sunk over 100 hours into Assassin's Creed Odyssey just by itself. Um, and probably at least that in, in a dozen other games. Um, but there's people who have invested large amounts of their time in rewatching this movie. And I think what's very telling to me is it isn't just on the first watch. Oh my God, that was better than the theatrical version. Okay. Well, just about everything is it's, right. It's not just that it's on the second watch on the third watch. People are still going, I'm captivated by this movie. I'm enamored with this movie. Um, I've enjoyed my 12th hour of living with this movie um, as much as I did when I first started. Um, that is really unique. Yeah. It, it Again, that's exactly what I'm, you know, what I'm saying is, is for this movie to be four hours, but get repeat viewings and still go. Yeah. I still have, you know, I said it to you and I said it to Harrison. Um, listeners of the show if you don't know the name harrison he runs the basement binge and we've done uh wandavision together some other movies uh quick plug out for the fact that we'll be doing falcon and the winter soldier together me robin harrison so we're excited about that but i said to you guys i've had the same excitement every time i've watched this movie as the first time it, it just hasn't gotten old and it hasn't gotten worse on those repeat viewings. I'm still just like, wow, I, I love this movie. So I, I just, again, I, I can't imagine the swell of support for this movie and the fact that people are going to want to see Snyder back in the driver's seat. I can't imagine it goes away unless like Warner brothers comes right out and says like almost in like a rude fashion, shut up. We did this for you once. We're never doing it again. Quit bombarding us because you're just, you're going to be disappointed because no, we're done. I mean, they kind of have said that they weren't going to do any sequels based on this. We'd heard that, you know, in the weeks leading up to this, um, I'm hearing more recently that they're not necessarily going to. Um, now, I don't, I don't know that that means anything. I don't know that it doesn't mean anything. But again, um, they are not in the business to not make money. If they have the opportunity to build on something, um, what they've already done just in giving him the millions of dollars they gave him to finish what he had started and, and primarily the visual effects and things like that and, and actually piecing the product together. Um, they had already done something that had never been done before. So why not roll the dice, keep it going. Um, if people like it, if people are willing to sign up for HBO max that maybe hadn't done it already for Wonder Woman 1984, because they were going to maybe wait and see if it was any good or not. And turns out it wasn't very good. Uh, but a lot of people still signed up for it. Um, I think, and I haven't heard anything yet. I'm not sure if you have, or if they've even released anything, but I'd be very curious what this movie and the buzz around it does for their subscriber base. I think that there's going to be a lot of people that had kind of stayed away from DC because most of the films are pretty bad, um, are now going to want to check it out. 
Yeah, I have not heard anything. I have certainly tried to look. I have not heard anything numbers-wise yet for how this did, you know, first week, first day, how many people watched it. Um, Again, just based on what I'm hearing, the numbers seem like they're going to be very, very strong where, and again, this is not everything, but this is actually the first DCEU movie that could be certified fresh. And again, that doesn't mean everything, but again, that's just one more thing. That's like, okay, how far are you going to be swayed in the direction of, well, enough people like this. Do we need to go in that direction? It's, it's almost like Warner brothers to a degree, like before the movie even released, like you said, they were like, well, nope, this is it. We're just doing this. Um, there's absolutely no plans to do any sequels. This is a one-time deal. It's almost like they don't want him to win completely. It's almost like, oh God, what? I can't think of exactly how I want to describe it. But like in our line of work where we sit there and if a customer says to us, well, I want you to give me this free. And it's like, well, no, we like, no, this is it. This is all we're doing for you. Like, no, I'm not budging. I'm not giving you anything else. And it's almost like what Warner Brothers is doing where, nope, we're not going to do anything. Well, you haven't even seen how it's going to be yet. So like, why are you so standoffish? Because again, it's not like what you've done up until this point has worked. So why are you being so stubborn? You know, they tried to play catch up with Marvel and it failed. Um, they were, they tried to get their whole connected universe going on, on Batman V Superman, which was a terrible movie. Um, they were trying to do far too much. A lot of the decisions didn't work. Um, and it just kind of fell flat on its face and, and does not hold up as a very good movie. Um, but somehow this worked like, you know, you said it earlier, like how did Zack Snyder direct this? Like I just watched Batman V Superman like a week and a half ago. Um, it's not good. Like right, the, right. The ultimate cut is better, but it's still not good. Um, how is this so good? <laughs> like, it's mystifying. Um, so, w- if you're Warner Brothers, what do you do? Um, do you completely scrap? I mean, when does that ever happen? Where somebody takes the theatrical version and just totally scraps it um, and says, "Nope, that's not canon anymore." Um, this thing that you can only see if you send, you know, if you spend four hours on our streaming service, that's now Canon. Um, but again, what's the risk? I mean, really what, how much egg will they have on their face if they decide to do that? Because already the theatrical version is regarded as crap. So what have they got to lose? Why not? Yeah. Uh, again, like I said, I, I feel like the only reason at this point that it would happen is, you're just you're being stubborn like you don't want to admit that you were wrong which seems ridiculous because if there's money to be made that's what you're in the business of doing uh you're in the business of making money and unless it's going to be too difficult with everything that they have but again it doesn't seem like anything's too far into production certainly the suicide squad doesn't seem like it would be affected by this and also too i just nothing else is really in production except for the flash. So 
to me, it's not like you're going, well, oh my God, we have four movies that are in production right now that would have to be altered significantly in order for us to go forward with anything that Zack Snyder had planned. That's not like that. You have the Batman, which is completely in its own universe, so you don't have to worry about that. Maybe Black Adam? I I don't know. Maybe they have Black Adam tied into too much with what they're trying to do with, you know, the other universe that they've built. I just can't imagine that's the case, though. I I don't think there's anything into production that would completely be tanked by deciding to go in a different direction. So again, those are just my thoughts, but not to get too caught up on that. One of the last things I'd like to talk about with this, Rob, is we talked about character development and going through. The one thing that I absolutely love about this movie and we've mentioned a lot of them with the character development is and I want to talk about it a little bit more is the team they didn't feel like a team at all there was the tension everything else I just want to go a little bit more in depth about Bruce being the leader Diana you know being with Bruce from the beginning and they know that they're supposed to get that you know, Flash and Cyborg coming together and talking. And there's a funny scene where he asks Cyborg if Diana would be interested in a younger guy. And he's like, dude, they're all younger. Like, she's <laughs> like, they're all younger guys to her, like, whatever. Um, but again, like, this is, it's pretty remarkable because it was so poorly done. Like, this is a team in this movie. Everything about it felt like a team. And watching them together at the end, again, like that final shot of them all standing together, it was like, yes, like this team did it. Like, wow, they came together. They realized what was at stake. They didn't have petty tension. They all knew like we have to be better than individuals in order to like stop this threat. That's my favorite part of the movie. And there's a lot of favorite parts, but just the fact that they felt like a team as opposed to the theatrical cut where it was like, God, it's there's so much unnecessary tension between these guys where it's like, grow up. You're acting like kids when there's all this tension with, well, in the theatrical cut, there didn't seem to be a lot of stakes, but I just love the team aspect of this movie. And that's what makes the Justice League work, right? It's they come together to take on the threats that they couldn't handle singularly. Um, You know, it it almost feels weird at times that Batman is involved in some of the things that they get involved in with the Justice League because he's mortal. He's got no powers, no special abilities. He just has a lot of money and he's smart enough to help develop some of the technology that he uses to keep him alive and the kinds of like God level threats that Superman and Wonder Woman are, and, and Green Lantern are taking on. Like there's really no reason for him to be involved. Like, and, and he does. And, and in the theatrical release, he kind of seems like he's bossing everybody around. Like the, you know, flash just kind of seems like a sidekick to him. If I'm being honest, like, yep. and it, it doesn't work. And he and Diana don't really see eye to eye. She's only there. Cause she has to be, I think like it, it just really doesn't work, but yeah, we get in the Snyder version, 
a much better story for Flash, much better fleshed out story for Cyborg. They have more to do. Their reasons for being there are more clearly defined. Um, you know, in general, this version, Victor's less of a douchebag. You know, he's very standoffish and just um, kind of hard to like in, in the theatrical release. And this one, we see a lot more things to like about him. We definitely like him more um, and he contributes more. He's more willing to contribute. Um, he's less resentful of of why he has the abilities that he has and, and being able to do the things that he can do. In fact, I'm not even sure. Do we even see him fly in the theatrical version? Because when his little jets kicked in in this, I was like, I don't remember seeing that before. Am I wrong on that? You see him like touch down in the one scene where he has the mother box. But I and again, listeners, if we're wrong, gladly tell us. But. Certainly, like not to the extent that we see him in this movie. Uh, again, everything about him, his powers, what he can do, it is just completely fleshed out. You understand what this guy is capable of, but you also understand why he's hesitant to be a part of this. And also, too, because he can see, you know, you get a better understanding of he sees things when he touches the mother box. And again, he's just, everybody is just fleshed out way more in this version, which again is easier to do. I understand with two extra hours, but again, it's just baffling that all of that character development was cut to just make people seem like sidekicks with no purpose in this movie whatsoever. Um, I'm so glad we finally got it because you know, I have better regard for the actors who were involved in this project now. Like I actually got to see them do more. Um, I got to see a full range of what they're capable of. And it makes me much more excited for this flash movie that we're going to get. Um, hoping that it's more this version, unless the kind of the weenie that we got in the theatrical release. of right. Justice League. I, I hope that's not him. I, I just, I really, I really don't want to see that flash in a full movie. Yeah, no, me neither. So again, it, I guess it really depends on what their direction is going to be. It'll be interesting in the coming months, year, whatever it is to see what type of traction this builds. So Rob, I mean, I think it's pretty good, but what's your overall review of this movie like where do you where do you stand as somebody again number one you've mentioned it who completely didn't think this was going to happen and really didn't see like you said you saw no way that this movie would be good you said it several times like how is this even going to be good like where does the thought process come like this is like this is going to be acceptable so where do you stand at the end of the day on this movie so in terms of a rating, um, this is five reels. Um, I don't know that I have it as my number one or number two superhero film uh, of all time. I'd have to sit down and carefully think about the list. But man, there's a lot of good stuff at the top. Um, what does occur to me thinking about how many great films we have seen is thinking about some of the gaps in best to worst. So you think about how great this is and the gap between this and the theatrical release, you think about how good the first Wonder Woman film is, and then you drop to 1984.
you think about how good Logan is, and then you drop to Wolverine Origins. Um, even something like the difference between Thor three and Thor two, like even you know, even as I, I think the only one that's on that list that is even close to the difference between this and what we get um, theatrically. Logan to Wolverine Origins, I think is probably a bigger gap because I actually think I, I think I like Logan better than as a film than um, than the Snyder Cut of Justice League. And I think I probably dislike Origins more than I dislike. Ah, that's, that's close. I, I, can't, <laughs> I don't know if I can really rank that. It's um, they're both a whole film. that's just nothing but save Martha. Um, that's that's right. what both films are to me. Um, they're both equally terrible, I guess. But um yeah, this is this is five reels. This is something that um, if you have friends of yours that are on the fence about whether or not they should make the time for it, this is a film you are imploring them make the time. It's worth it. You don't understand. Like it is worth it. Yeah, uh, same thing for me. This is five reels. I've already stated that this is my number two superhero movie it's right behind x-men days of future past it has jumped logan it has jumped endgame i just am enamored with this movie which to me again i was just i was so shocked at how good this was and almost to the point where i i got nervous because i had hyped myself up so much to want to see this movie and i had said to myself well look i don't care if it's bad i just want to see his vision to the point where i turned it on and was like Oh God, what if this isn't good? Like, like I got nervous. You woke to, up at three o'clock for a bad movie. Right. Like I got nervous <laughs> to watch it, but I just, I think this is a, and again, it's to me, I'm happy for Zack Snyder on a more personal note because with everything that happened, this guy finally got to see this. There's at the end of the movie, you know, it says for autumn, which Rob, we talked about it, you know, absolutely what a tragedy I, I can't imagine what he was going through but to see the praise that this movie has gotten i'm just i'm so happy for him that he finally got to come back do this movie and you know you can you can see that this is a, a labor of love for Zack snyder regardless of what i think of his other movies he's done something truly unique with this movie he's been part of something that really has never been done in the history of film before he's always going to have that so on a personal level i'm very happy for him i think this is amazing and i'm glad he got to do it it's validation um and it's it just makes me fascinated um and I'm sure Joss Whedon is keeping his head down a lot right now uh, right. Based on some of those other things. Um, I would love somebody to stick a microphone in his face and get him to say how he how he feels about his version of the film. Watch this one and tell us his thoughts on it. Um, I, just I call it a morbid curiosity. Um, but uh, it's yeah, I just can't help but go back and say, how did they have this? And then they still let what we got in 2017 happen. Um, it is just mystifying. It's one of the great mysteries of film. Like when, when you start talking about just the crazy things that have happened in movies, 
and the the weird coincidences, the goofy chances, you know, the fact that someone like, you know, Harrison Ford was just a carpenter and then ended up being one of our all-time favorite, you know, classic movie characters um, and Han Solo and, and got to be Indiana Jones, like just the crazy things that happen in film. Um, I, I got to feel like the Justice League story is one of those ones that will be told Um it doesn't matter what if if people stop watching superhero movies, which God, I hope that doesn't happen. Right. Um, but if if superhero movies stop happening, if if people just grow tired and go on to something else, I still feel like the story of this movie, both versions of it will still be one that's told, you know, will still be one that people find compelling and interesting. Um, this might even end up as a documentary at some point, you know, just the story of this movie. Yeah, it's it's certainly unique and I'm glad we got it. And this episode was a lot of fun. And I just want to let listeners know that, you know, comment on this. Let us know what you think. Again, the email to contact, you know, myself and Rob, he's he's such a big part of this show and I can't thank him enough. Uh, it's Matt goes to the movies. So it's an abbreviation of that. It's MG ttm at podcast uh or sorry mgttm podcast at gmail.com and that'll be in the show notes but this has been such a fun experience and to let listeners know starting tomorrow we will be covering falcon and the winter soldier which i know i'm looking forward to rob i'm i'm pretty sure you're excited about that Ooh. I it's <laughs> this was one of the ones when you and I were looking at the upcoming slate of what Marvel was bringing us and they just dumped that on us like just it, it was almost like Niagara Falls right on top of our heads of just new content new shows new movies like all that stuff they just dumped on us um, this was one of the ones that I was um, most excited about and uh i won't give it away but you'll have listeners will have to tune into the future episode to find out if uh if that excitement is paid off on or not yeah and you know like we did for wandavision i mentioned it earlier harrison from the basement binge is going to be joining us so it's always exciting to to get the three of us together so Listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Matt Goes to the Movies for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Leave your comments in the show notes, and we'll look forward to seeing you for future episodes. Thanks a lot.